Good evening, everybody. My name is Professor Michael Cox. I'm in the Department of International Relations here at the London School of Economics. I'm also a co-director of a centre here at the LSE called IDEAS, whose principal purpose is to look at diplomacy and strategy. Uh, every year the LSE hosts, uh, I'd say, I nearly said thousands of lectures, but that would be an exaggeration, uh, certainly hundreds of lectures uh, by different speakers from uh, different countries with inevitably and necessarily uh, different points of view. Why do we do this? Well, firstly, because we like to hear what speakers have to say. You can sometimes learn from your speakers. Secondly, to critically engage and debate with our speakers and our guests. And thirdly, because the London School of Economics is a university in a democratic society which upholds the principle of free speech, tolerance and pluralism. And we therefore extend hospitality and welcome to the Deputy Foreign Minister of Israel, Daniel Ailon. I won't say when he was born, he told me not to. But he has a BA degree in economics as well as an MBA. Uh, Minister Elon served as foreign policy advisor to Prime Minister Ariel Sharon from March 2001 through Ju July 2002 and, critically, as Israel's ambassador to the United States from July 2002 through November 2006. I was also told in secret that he was the youngest ambassador, Israeli ambassador to serve in the United States, but now it's no longer a secret. Uh, there you go, that's an academic for you. Can't keep a secret. He has also served as a member of the executive board of the University Center Ariel, vice chair of the Israel-America Chamber of Commerce, and a board member of the America-Israel Friendship League. He received the Brandeis Award of the Jewish Community of Baltimore in 2005 and the Builder of Jerusalem Award of Aish HaTorah in 2008. Daniel Ailon was elected to the 18th Knesset in February 2009 on the Israel Betanyu list and in April 2009 was appointed Deputy Minister of Foreign Affairs and now um, assists, I suppose, in the running of Israel foreign policy at a very critical moment, not only a new election in Israel in the earlier part of this year, but a new election, of course, in the United States last year. I'd like you all to extend a vote of thanks and at least a vote of welcome to, to our guest here this evening, Mr. Ailon, Deputy Minister of Foreign Affairs for Israel. Sir. Thank you so much, uh, <laughs> Professor Cox, for this very kind introduction which I wrote, and I uh, really appreciate <laughs> the fact that so many of you came here. For me, it's a great pleasure, indeed a privilege, to be here in the London School of Economics, which we see as a real great academic institute and a center of excellence. And uh, within this framework, it is also my honor to, to address you and give you the point of view, which I think should be more heard, and uh, I, will try, I will try to convince you, sir, that Israel wants peace, and that, uh, that's, yeah. Can we, uh, look, we, can we, look, I, please, please, no, come on. We have to extend the right of free speech here this evening. If you want to ask difficult and critical questions afterwards, it's perfectly up to you. Okay, let's... Um, if we could... Uh, okay, okay. If we could move forward, let the, if we could just permit the minister to make the points he wants to make. 
If and then, when you don't agree with them, you obviously don't, which is fair enough, that's the whole point of this discussion here this evening, make your points in the forceful way as possible. But I do think it's reasonable and fair and hospitable, at least, to extend the right of speech to the minister now so we can get on with the meeting, and then make your points. That's fair enough. That's all we ask. Thank you. Thank you so much, Professor. Uh, and, and again, uh, to this gentleman with the kafia that was yelling here, I would uh, like to say that I'm quite used to it because Israel is a country of, of free speech. And I wish, and I Come wish, on. I wish you make you your point, we know your position. No, no, Let no, no. It's, speak. It's, it's nothing that uh, is strange to me. I wish that there was more free speech and that you would be able, sir, you with the kafia, you would be able to do what you do now in well, countries like Syria and Iran and Saudi Arabia and all the countries and also in the Palestinian Authority and Gaza. If this was the case, maybe... Okay, <laughs> come on, let us move on. If, okay, look, there. If this was the case, then we would be able to have a, an discussion. In any case, I, I hope, in any case, I hope you came to listen and not just to shout. And if you would listen, I would also ask you all to listen intently and be able to judge objectively where things are in the Middle East. And let me tell you, and uh, I don't think that you could really argue otherwise, that Israel wants peace, and we want peace not out of a strategic... Let me finish the sentence. You are, no, it, for us, it's not just a strategic option. It's a moral obligation. And let me tell you, we, don't, we do not just walk. We do not just talk the talk, but we walk the walk. In 1979, we made, we made peace with Egypt. We gave Egypt the entire Sinai Peninsula. We gave peace and we, we took out Israeli settlements from the Sinai to make peace. Today, we have great peace with Egypt. The same thing was in Jordan, by the way. Also, if we move forward, back in 2005, we wanted to do the same thing with the Palestinian Authority, and we did evacuate the entire <coughs> Gaza Strip. Many people maybe do not know the fact that there is no one soldier on the Gaza territory, no one Israeli settlers. Back in 2005, Israeli was going, was going, well, can, can you argue with come that? Come on, come on, come on, let's, let's agree the ground rules here. There are other people with a different point of view to your own. And this includes one of the ministers who said, just let's finish the, the discussion from the front and then move to the questions and answers. That's yeah. by far and away the best way. There are many other people here with different points of view. I would expect... Fine, fine, fine. But let the Israeli gentleman speak first. Then we can actually respond to him. We wouldn't shout down everybody who comes to this. Why do we shout down this gentleman here this evening? Well, uh. Okay, look, okay, look, can... All right, Minister, why don't you continue? I would love to continue, yeah. Okay, everybody, let's, let's have five minutes, but then we move on. All right, Minister. Anyway, let us at least, at least not argue about the facts. We are here in a very respected academic institute, so we know what is fact and what is uh, false. The fact is that we have, Israel has evacuated over the last 30 years from the entire peninsula of Sinai, from many parts with, with Jordan, and we have now full peace with the state of Jordan, with Egypt as well. Now, in 2005... We left Gaza altogether in the hope, and let me tell you, it was an excruciatingly painful process in Israel. 21 Israeli communities there, three generations that had to leave. Anyway, uh, let us at least not argue with the fact that Israel is not in the West, in, not in, the, in Gaza altogether. And the fact that we left Gaza in 2005 totally to the last inch. Anybody uh, disagrees with this fact that we left Gaza in 2005 to the last inch? Yeah. 
Thank you. Anyway, we left Gaza to the last inch. And what did we hope to achieve? We hoped to achieve an entire par paradigm shift in the, in the area. So nobody will have the pretext, quote unquote, of an occupation. We are not there anymore. So the Gazans <laughs> will have a chance not only to control their own affairs, but to build Gaza as a showpiece to the world so that, they are, that they can govern themselves with great investments. Let me tell you some story that um, since I will use my uh, experience, personal experience in Washington. When we left Gaza, there was a case of um, 4,000 dunams. You know what dunams are. You know, it's, it's a big territorial area. You, you do it here in hectares or acres, I don't know. But it's, a, it's about 1,000 um, acres of um, greenhouses. And nobody wanted to buy it out of the, uh, the Palestinians. So we raised $14 million from private investors that put the money there, which could have employed at least 8,000 Palestinian people, being able to feed many more. Unfortunately, after two days, uh, these greenhouses were burned to the ground. Unfortunately, the Hamas built such a great and enormous uh, apparatus of terrorism that not only quieted the area... Let okay, me tell you. We, we let heard me, it. Let me let's, tell you. Let's just finish. And then ask your questions. When he's finished, we've de tried to define the parameters for a free and open debate. Why don't you let the minister speak? You know. You Why know, don't you let him speak and then let him? And then you ask your questions. Come on. You know, there is a saying. There is a saying. Okay. 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 Okay, all right, guys. I, I, yeah, I want, look, I, uh, the chap, uh, excuse me here, hi, the man here turning around, yeah, got you. Let, let's just calm down. Tea, sugar, okay, let's, let's just cool it a bit and then a drink afterwards, now please. Well, Minister, not, again, trying. Okay. Well, let me say <laughs> that uh, there is a, a saying in Washington, I'm sure here too, when one's argument is weak, they raise their voice and shout. I hope this is not the case here. I hope this is not the case here. Okay. Okay, all right, yeah. And... All right, okay, yeah. And let's move, let's move on. We're going to be here to about 10 o'clock tonight. And let me also say <laughs> that with, let me also say and add, based on my experience and history experience, that with such kind of excitement and agitation, there is no reason you cannot reach anything. And we want a dialogue. We want to sit together. It is just... You prove my point, that you do not want to listen. You do not want any, any moving forward. Okay. Okay. Down, down. Sit down, sit down. All right, sit down. Sit down, sit down. All right. Okay, guys. Could we, Alan? <laughs> sit down, sit down. Okay, all right, okay, look, for the last time, can we just cool it? It's all very exciting. It uh, just feels a little bit too exciting at the moment. Can we, for the last time, just try to get through, have a debate, ask the questions? There's lots of questions to ask here about the Goldstone Report, about all sorts of things. But we can't ask those questions until the minister has made and delivered his speech in the first place. Let's again extend to him the same kind of rights, hospitality. We've extended to all sorts of speakers. <laughs> at this
had this school over, that's why I made my first point. I've chaired all sorts of people I disagree with. I don't necessarily, in fact, I know I disagree with the minister on many issues. That is not the point. That is not the point. The point here, we are a pluralist institution which encourages discussion and debate from a, a range of people with whom we don't disagree. That is the definition of democracy. Okay. So can we just have this discussion now and then in all truth make the strongest points you want to from the floor and the minister will try and deal with them. You won't agree with him. That's not the point. We want the debate. That is what the LSE is all about. Minister. Thank you so much. And if you may allow me to add, let's at least drop this name calling because, you know, there is no purpose to that. If you really want to have a discussion, and I would love to hear you. If you can have a question, I would love, and I'm sure I have good answers to you. In any way, I think, and this is something that I want to, to really make sure we all understand, Israel does not see it as a zero-sum game. It's a win-win situation. It is our interest, just as it is the Palestinians and indeed the international community's interest, to move forward and to really have a peaceful uh, uh, negotiation process which the goal is to achieve historic reconciliation in this very, very important area um, in the Middle East which has been subjected to so much bloodshed and misery and believe me, we do not deserve it. And uh, I may say also that we may not agree on the past. You know what? We do not have to agree on the past. Each people has, uh, is entitled to their own narrative. I will say more than that. Each people is also entitled for their own uh, vision, national visions and dreams. But then we hit this brick wall of reality, and here where the leaders are really tested in the, their ability to bridge between this national vision <coughs> and dreams and reality. And I think pragmatism and moderation is the order of the day. I know, as an Israeli, as a Jew, that I will not get what I think I deserve. But I wish that this will be the same kind of attitude from everybody and we will see what is possible. And diplomacy, just like, just like politics, is the art of the possible. And what is possible now? This is what I want to discuss. What is possible now is to seek together, no preconditions, no any uh, uh, string attaches, sit together in a real serious dialogue and discuss the topics which are concerns of all. What Israel needs is a security. What the Palestinian needs is sovereignty, independence, economic benefits, and what we all need is cooperation so we can make this area of ours, which is very small actually. What is Israel? Israel is just a speck in the Middle East. But uh, we can make this area of ours real significant in uh, world affairs in terms of scientific research and excellence in all uh, areas. And this is what we need. The main problem is how to reach it. And here I would like to suggest to you, and again, I wouldn't go into the past because we have been subjected to 16 years, unfortunately, of futile dialogue. And again, I don't want to blame and, and put fingers at anybody. Again, let's uh, put the, the past aside and concentrate on the future. And the future... I believe that if we discuss without these preconditions with the Palestinians, we can have three, uh, three tracks which should go simultaneously. One is the political track, just to work on the details of the contours of the, of the agreements which we want to see. And nobody will uh, um, agree more than Israelis that it is time for a separation, political and physical separations, if Israel is to uh, maintain and remain a Jewish democratic <coughs> state, we do understand that we need a Palestinian state. I can tell you that. But also, we cannot afford having a, a state which will not live in peace with us because we uh, are not suicide, uh, suiciders and we want to coexist, to coexist in peace. So let's discuss the uh, political issues on one track. But this track should not be dependent 
on the other two tracks, which may go on faster or slower than this one track. And it is important to move on these other tracks. The other one is economic one. And let me tell you here uh, that uh, Israel, at least, and I, can, I represent now our government in the last, and we've been in office now for seven months, in the last seven months, there has been done more in terms of access and movement and removing a lot of the roadblocks and, and uh, checkpoints, which we had to take out of necessity, but we are taking risks to removing them and to allow really foreign investments to come in. In fact, if you measure now the Palestinian economy, and again, don't take it from me, just take it from the World Bank, there has been a successive 8 percent, by the way, 8 percent of growth of the Palestinian economy. That's more than any other country in the world today. Also the fact that there are more, uh, more uh, economic activities between Israelis and Palestinians and anyone uh, who has visited Ramallah or Jenin lately I think would be quite pleasantly surprised to see the ongoing social and economic activities over there. So we need to continue with that. We need to continue with that. And again, here, let's, let's act. Let's don't revert to this incrimination and to this very uh, loud speakers and speaking and shoutings. This will not get us anywhere. We are there together to stay. And we are dependent upon other. And if we respect each other with dignity and forget the past, well, not forget the past, we cannot, but at least uh, uh, try to, uh, to do what you did here in Europe. If we could do, you know, if Europe, after a thousand years, Professor, of bloodshed and misery and wars, today you're living together peacefully, certainly we can do it in the Middle East. And I wouldn't lose hope about that. So I'd say the political track, the economic track, which is also very important because people, you know, have to feel the peace from the bottom up. It's not enough to impose peace, to have peace between rulers. That will not stick. We have to create peace. So rulers have to negotiate and get into, into terms, but also to build it from the bottom up. So I said political, economic, and the last thing is what has been undergoing is to build uh, Palestinian capacity for institutions and governing. Here Europe is helping a lot. There is a billion Euro, uh, euros that the EU pays towards that and uh, money also from the, the, the Americans to build capacity so once there is independence, then we will have a responsible state with institutions, transparency, and nobody can afford and nobody wishes upon anyone, least of which the Palestinians, a failed state or a terror state. We cannot afford this and, and, and least of which are the, the Palestinians. So this is what we suggest. Let's sit and work on these three tracks and let's move together. I, I will tell you here, that uh, there is a window of opportunity now because there is a strong, politically strong Israeli government. And, you know, people talk about uh, Nixon goes to China syndrome. I'm sure here you know all what I'm talking about. I believe that a center-right government, I mean, it's just uh, um, the track record shows, it is easier for such a government to uh, make the right concessions and painful concessions and we do understand that we will have to make painful concessions for peace but I think that we as a right of central government we have the credibility and we also have the votes uh, in the Knesset in our parliament to pass something which will assure that uh, we do have peace with dignity justice and, and with security for everybody this is where Israel is, is, is at now now we have been talking Unfortunately, not yet directly with the Palestinians, but not, it's not because of our own volition. So we're working through the Americans. There is Senator Mitchell who is coming and going. And I think we have pretty much narrowed uh, to the bare minimum the differences between us and the United States. And here I will not, uh, um, you know, I will not use any euphemism, but, you know, the United States is still our best friend and ally. But still, we do have disputes, which is fine. And uh, I think we're limiting to the minimum so that the Palestinians can come on board as well and we can uh, relaunch negotiations. We were very sorry to find out that when this government uh, took office, negotiations stopped. Um, Abu Mazen, Mahmoud Abbas, had intensive talks with our predecessor, uh, Ehud Olmert, and there is no reason why he would not continue. When Bibi Netanyahu came into office, and let me tell you, he came into office this is his second term. 
he is now much more mature. He didn't uh, work through all this, uh, you know, very grueling process of being re-elected just to sit in the office idly. And he's such a state that he is ready to do historic things. He's not there just uh, to occupy a seat. And just as he called from day one, he is still calling now on Mr. Abbas to sit together and talk. Now, we have our own internal problems, like every normal country has, political uh, um, intricacies and domestic issues. The Palestinians have the same. I can tell you at this point, as we are today, I'm not sure what will happen with the call of uh, Mahmoud Abbas to have uh, elections there on January 24th, and how will that affect short run and long run on a process. But we wish the Palestinians well. We wish that they will make uh, their house in order, whether through elections or any process that they will uh, do uh, democratically. And they will find us ready to discuss. They will find us ready to trade. I mean, give and take uh, on the negotiation. Try us. Try us. Judge us. And uh, come on, guys. Let's just get. And just. And I do believe. I truly believe, or otherwise I wouldn't enter politics, I do believe that just as we made peace with Jordan and we made peace with Egypt, we can make peace with the Palestinians. It's not a, uh, uh, a plague. It's not God-given that we cannot live together peacefully with our Palestinian neighbors. Not at all. So this is where we are. So I told you what the goal is. I told you how we see it should go forward with the three tracks. And I do emphasize the change on the ground as well. So even though, for instance, let's say that we will have to postpone, I hope not, but let's say that Palestinians will be now busy with their own elections. Obviously, most of their energies will be uh, inwardly. Uh, that should not stop the other two tracks of capacity building and the economics. So this is where we are, and we have not yet touched the regional area and the challenges to such a process. The main challenge unfortunately, is, is coming from Iran. I don't think Iran would like to see a process going. The Iranians are supporting every element which is against any reconciliations, be it the Hezbollah in Lebanon, be it Hamas in uh, the Palestinian Authority, being a Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. And, and I... I think it would be very, very, very helpful if once and for all the Iranians will keep their involvement to their own affairs and not meddle with other people's affairs, be it in Lebanon, be it in Lebanon through the Hezbollah. Hezbollah does not represent Lebanese uh, interest. Hamas does not represent Palestinian interest and so on and so forth. So if we can achieve that and if we can... Uh, uh, limit the Iranians' support of violence, I think that would be a great boost to a uh, possible and uh, probable and hopeful uh, political dialogue. So I think at this point, Professor, I will stop and I would love to hear your comments, questions, and let's have a uh, respectful and uh, normal debate. Thank you very much. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> right. Okay, okay, okay. Right, thank you. I, I think we could say the minister got a mixed reception. Um, I'm used to it. In Israel, it's much worse, let <laughs> me okay. tell you. Well, it's very exciting. Very good. Um, could I, could I, uh, I'll, I'll ask all the questions, by the way, now. I'll, I'll, I'll start with the question asked by the lady over here, who says, um, which on the question of settlements, because this is clearly one of the key, one of the key contentious issues, and you, you, you've raised it. And I'll pose it as a question, because you did raise it as a question. Um, President Obama has said that he wants to do something about freezing settlements. Clearly the settlements issue in the West Bank is a fundamental question. Um, what are you going to do about it? Because this seems to be one of the fundamental questions amongst many others, which are still dividing the Palestinian peoples and, uh, and Israelis. 
Well, we will freeze it. I mean, we will uh, restrain activities to the bare minimum, but we have to remember that until a, until a final plastic. settlement is reached, you know, we are not at the final settlement moment yet. When the final <coughs> settlement is reached, I can guarantee you the settlement will not be the problem. Just that they were not the problem in Egypt, we had to uh, evacuate all the settlements in the Sinai, including a major town like Yamit, like we did in Gaza. This will not be an obstacle to the end game. Meanwhile, we do understand that we have to regain confidence of the Palestinians, and we said and we declared, and we are absolutely adamant about, we are not having new settlements, we are not confiscating land, we are not uh, giving incentives to pe for people to live there, and if the going rule was that there is building unless otherwise, now the going rule is there is no building unless in some extreme uh, uh, cases. However, I want you to, uh, to, to know if you touch, if you allow me, just try to understand where Israel is coming from. You know, the issue of uh, the settlements or uh, the Jewish communities. I would say that if you look into the history from 1948, and it is important to know the history, from 1948, the recreation of the new state of Israel, right, to 1967, there were no settlements whatsoever. We were not in the West Bank or Judea and Samaria. Was there any peace then? No. Was there terror? Yes. So to say that the settlement is the issue is just historically not correct. But again, I had to say it just in perspective. But I want to again uh, press and, and, and implore uh, not to do what I did now, is go to the past because we're looking forward. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, let me ask one final question and then I'll open up to the floor. You were a U.S. Uh, you were Israeli ambassador to the United States under President Bush. Do you think Israel found it easier to deal with President Bush, or is finding it more difficult to deal with President Obama? Uh, well, I, I'll tell you, it's uh, <laughs> you know uh, this is just anecdotal, you know, to to see how um, heads of states uh, treat each other. Uh, certainly in the in the nascent phase when new government is coming on board. But I can tell you that uh, the relations, you know, um, I would say the natural alliance that Israel has with the West, with the United States for sure, transcends uh, uh, governments or, uh, or administrations. And in fact, we see a great hope with the presidency of, uh, of uh, Obama. We very much appreciated his speech in Cairo. And we uh, also understand that we need a real United States leadership and credibility of all sides because at the end of the day it will be, and I hope I'm not offending any English people here, but at the end of the day it will have to be the United States which underwrites and guarantees any peace accords. So uh, to tell you we very much appreciate uh, the President and we very much work with him and his interests are ours, his values are ours, and uh, we will continue to work together. Okay, that's a fair enough answer. I'll take the lady in front here, please. Yeah, where's the microphone? Yeah. Um, the lady in front here, please. Thank you. I will try and take a representative cross, cross. Yeah? Yeah, this lady here in front. Yeah, please. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, earlier on in the... Uh, Could you speak up a bit, please? Yeah. Earlier on in your speech, you mentioned that um, Israel generously withdrew from Egypt. However, to this day, 42 years on, Israel is still occupying the Syrian Golan Heights and is still occupying the West Bank and still, and still controls Gaza's airspace, sea, uh, territorial waters and also its borders. So I cannot accept your argument that Israel has withdrawn from the Gaza Strip, um, especially considering that Israeli troops are at liberty to invade Gaza whenever it, will, whenever it wants to, as it did in January early on this year. Um, moving on, you talked about um, Jewish other, being other yeah, just the up, question yeah? now. You talked about Jewish, um, sorry, Israel being a Jewish state. However, how can this be when its laws are based not on Jewish scriptures but, on, but are secular? And also, the fact that 1.5 million Israelis themselves are not Jewish; they are either Christian or Muslim Palestinians. How can Israel be a Jewish state when you are denying the, the right of these 1.5 million people? Do you not agree that right. Israel should be a state for all of its citizens? Okay. <laughs> A very good right. point. Fair question. A Please very, go. very good point. Uh, if you want to, I'll talk later about the Golan Heights and the other issues, but uh, Israel is a Jewish state. First of all, again, you have to understand that Judaism or, or is not just a religion. 
it's just not just a culture or a way of life, it's also a, a strong national identity. So just like uh, France is French, Israel is Jewish. And I beg to differ with the, your, your numbers, just uh, do not correspond with the, the statistics. Israel today, and I'm talking about, I'm not talking about the territories, not the West Bank. I'm talking about Israel today has a population of 7.5 million, out of which 6 million are Jews, 1.5 are not, Muslims, Christians, Druze, Cherkess, and, and others. However, just as we would expect, and we agree, for the Palestinians to have the right of self-determination, <coughs> and they will, and they have, so do we have the right for self-determination. And Israel is a Jewish state because we chose to be Jewish, because this is what we are, and this is our land. Also, by the way, and not just from the moral point of view, even if you don't agree with this moral historic point of view, uh, certainly here you would agree with international norms and, and laws. And this was, wait a minute, this was United Nations Resolutions 181, 29 of uh, November 1947, which declared, let, let, which, let, declared let you in, okay. which declared Israel as the Jewish state. So there's nothing offensive here, but let us have our own determination, self-determination, like Palestinians do, like Egyptians, like any other country. Okay, there's a gentleman there with his hand up. Yeah, with the scarf on. Yeah, yeah, that's you. Yeah, just there you go. Just ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a, a, a question, please. If, just, not a. I was going to ask something different, but as you made such a brilliant point about how the land is yours, it's not. How can you um, compare Israel to France? France has had a heritage on. Unchallenged uh, for however many hundreds of years of French people. Where was your father born? Was your grandfather born? You're Jewish, I don't dispute that. But my grandparents are born in Palestine, their parents are born in Palestine, their parents are born in Palestine. For ages, as, as long as, I, as our history goes past, we were born in this land. We have as much of a connection to this land as any Jew. How can you say there's no precondition to um, peace talks when you say this has to be Jewish land? The land, the land doesn't the people, the people define the land. The land doesn't define the people. You don't go to a land and this is Jewish land. This is Jewish because the people there are Jewish. The people there that are Jewish have lived there for, what, 60 years? It's been Jewish for 60 years? How many hundreds of years before that was it Jewish? It has been Jewish. Okay, all right, okay, right. Okay, I was going to say, is it? Okay, that's a statement rather than a question. Fair enough. Okay, look, I've given you, look, I've given you the space to, to make your point. I, I think it's pretty clear that there's fundamental disagreement here. Uh, can I take another question? There's a gentleman here with the, with a, yeah, with the rather poor-looking uh, computer in front of him. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. This chap here, yeah. Sorry, it looks like an Amstrad. What is it? Yeah, whatever. Thank you Over very to much. You. Um, I I got one question. Um, the the Haaretz newspaper in Israel reported at the beginning of the year that there was um, a database uh, by the. Um, Israeli military set up by uh, Brigadier General Baruch Spiegel and Minister Shaul Mofas, which um, basically said that about 75% um, of the settlements constructed um, has been carried out without appropriate permits <coughs> or contrary to permits that were issued. And I w was wondering if you could comment. Yes, I, I would comment. Uh, no, I think this is either misquoted or uh, grossly uh, um, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No, no, no I, I'm telling you, it oh, doesn't let's matter. Get the, let's get the answer. If we can. It doesn't matter. There is. Okay. Yeah, okay. Okay. There is a certain okay. amount of communities which were not authorized. These are called the outposts, and we are against them. And we are. We said we are committed to remove them. But again, if we go into the statistics, it's almost you know beside the point because again, I want to say here in a very authoritative way as I can, that once we reach the deal, it will not matter, you know, the statistics. Because we are, once we reach the real deal, the concessions will be made, painful as they are, and we're ready to make the deal. Let me also take the, 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 the chance to, to, to answer the, the gentleman here, you know, Jewish land. It's been Jewish for 5,000 years. Nobody can deny that. <laughs> Yeah. 
if you say, no, I really want to, because, I mean, once and for all, we have to really get away from all this myth. If you say that this is a Palestinian land, can you mention to me one Palestinian ruler, king, government, uh, that, uh, that ruled the land? Can you tell me what were the boundaries of that? There was never a Palestinian state. Never, ever in history was there a Palestinian state. It will be another twist of history that Israel, the Jews, will create the Palestinian state. Not Arabs, not anyone else. We will create the Palestinian state. Okay, yeah, okay, okay, friend. Okay, friend, we, we, there's a, there's a gentleman be, uh, uh, please, come on. I, I can hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a gentleman behind you. Can you show me, me with one Palestinian up? leader that ruled in the land? Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. Can we get. Okay, look. Um, I have, I have oh, a question about. Uh, please, gentleman here, yeah, with the microphone in his right hand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, less uh, controversial question. Uh, just about the Palestinian economy. Uh, what comparative advantage do you see that the foreign direct investment can develop there in Palestine? And how can Israel help them? You know, build a country and create a viable economy there. I think, right. I, right now, what we have allowed now is many more tourists to come. And there's a lot to see there in Israel and also in the, in the territories. Um, tourism went up in the last year by 133%, you know, over $1.6 million. Tourism is a great source of income. But this is not enough. We would like to build really an industrial base with a sustainable source of income for the Palestinians. And for that, in my estimates, we need no more than $10 billion to really bring the, uh, the Palestinian economy uh, on par with the OECD countries, just like here in Europe. But where is the money? The United States is short of cash, also Europe, because of all these economic uh, problems. We are looking into Arab money. The Saudis, the Saudis which sit on trillions upon trillions of dollars, petrodollars, if they could, and they could easily afford without even making a dent into their uh, reservoirs, just $10 billion, and we are ready to, to do whatever we, we, we need to do as a, as a government together with the Palestinians on projects, I believe $10 billion in a matter of three to five years can even bring it up much higher in a sustainable way. So far, we do not see the Arab countries, especially Gulf and first and foremost Saudi Arabia, willing to, to, to do the, the thing, the right thing, and to put the money. Uh, President Obama was in uh, Riyadh just on the same tour that he visited Cairo and made his uh, historic speech. And so far we have not seen uh, the Saudi money uh, coming, but we are going to continue and, uh, and ask for it. We do not have any leverage over Saudi Arabia, but I think you as Europeans and also America does. Why, why do you think uh, the, the richer of the Arab states are not putting more money in then? Well, this is a dangerous question for me because here <laughs> uh, I would like to have them answer that. And, mm -hmm. and I don't want to put words in their mouth. I, I have my speculations, but, uh, <laughs> right. but I'd rather not uh, okay. create uh, too much. Well, uh, you, you, you are uh, a diplomat, so <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll... But I would say, you know, the, the proof here, you say it, you uh, great Brits, you say the proof is in the tasting or in the pudding. The money is not there. Why? You should ask them that. And I challenge you to bring here the Saudi ambassador well, here in the UK and, and ask him how much money the, did they give to the Palestinians in the last 10 years and why? I'll ask, I'll, ask, I'll ask him that question next time he speaks to you, which I think will be pretty soon. Yeah, there's a gentleman here, please. Okay. And then um, there's a lady over here. Please, sir. I have two quick questions. The first one is about the Goldstone Report. The Goldstone uh, Report, yes. Yeah, which Goldstone this question report, should, yeah. should be raised. Um, Israel claims that it's uh, biased. Hmm. Goldstone himself is, I think, Jew, and he even likes Israel, as, as, as far as I know. He's a, he's a Zionist. And um, I think one of the... Uh, Doesn't anyone like Israel? <laughs> Maybe. Um, I think one of the members of the committee is also an LSE professor, or a member of LSE, but uh, this is something else. Yeah, um, so my first question is, um, how, how could the report, and why is it biased? Although you just referred to a UN resolution, like just uh, minutes ago. Um, the second question is... I agree with you that um, Iran shouldn't actually uh, get an um, atom bomb, but why does Israel have atom bombs? And I wouldn't really... And, and uh, just, just one right. point. Just uh, one that's, point. That's, uh, I, that's, what you get, you, that's two questions in one. 
the Goldstone report and why did... Yes, just one, just one you point. You want a third question now? No, 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 third question. Uh, how many well, the second question, I'm, I'm, I, would, I would really appreciate it if okay. I don't get an answer like um, Israel doesn't officially have any atom bombs or something uh, like that. Okay, fine. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Can neither, can neither let me, let me, deny, No, 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 no. Let me be more okay. precise. Let me be pro more precise because Israel's position has not changed on that and I will repeat it. Israel will not be the first to introduce nuclear weapons in the Middle East. We, and we, we are very serious here. Nor have we ever threatened to annihilate any other country like Iran and other countries in the region did. Also, 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 and I'm sure here you will appreciate it, here in the bastion of democracy, uh, countries like Israel, just like the United Kingdom, you know, we have the checks and balances of the people and the democratic institutions. It's not just a button that is uh, being pushed by one uh, dictator. But this is not to say whether we have or we, we do not have. You may rightly say this is quite ambiguous. And I will tell you that ambiguity here is a matter of our national security. Also, if you look at the map, Israel is as, as small as, I don't know, lesser than, than London, right? And, and we have been attacked so many times, so we, we keep it. Can we, uh, let, let's move on to the, this. Gold, let's, let's get the Goldstone Report out of the way, because this has a certain local flavor, because one of the authors of this, of course, was a professor of law at the okay. London School of Economics. We have the greatest appreciation for Goldstone, but not for his report, because this report <laughs> can be done. The report, look at, the, at how it was sanctioned and the mandate. You know, the mandate for this report uh, was decreed by the so-called Council of Human Rights in Geneva against, yeah, against, against the will of the entire European countries, Canada, South Korea, Japan, all what you would say Western democracies. That should tell you in itself why we didn't agree. Wait a minute. But this is not the end of it. This is not the end of it. The mandate, as it was uh, decreed over there by countries uh, of great record in human rights, like Cuba, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Syria, and Saudi Arabia, and let me tell you, in Saudi Arabia, you wouldn't dare do what you did now. <laughs> but uh, the mandate, the mandate, the mandate. Okay. All right. Okay. The mandate was given three days into the operations. Already three days into the operations, and the title was to investigate. Listen to that: Israeli war crimes. Not Hamas, nothing else. But let me tell you something else. This distinguished um, uh, in investigation board, uh, the Council of Human Rights was approaching two dignitaries which have an unblemished and very distinguished uh, reputation in the area of human rights. <coughs> Desmond Tutu of South Africa, he refused because he said it was a biased, one-sided... Uh, uh, mandate. And secondly, and secondly, it was Mary Robinson, you know her, she refused to take that because she said it's a, uh, it's a very biased, politicized uh, apparatus altogether. Now, I think this in itself tells you why Israel was very apprehensive about the Goldstone Report. And Lo and behold, the results are such that it's a disgrace to what was written there. And when Goldstone came back with his report to the, human, uh, to the Council of Human Rights, again, all these countries, including the United Kingdom, did not support it. I think that should tell you. That should tell you. That should tell you why we couldn't do it. Now, let me tell you what is the problem with the report. The problem with the report is that it strips away the right... Uh, for self-defense from decent countries and democracies and giving it, no, not against children, and giving it to the terrorists. No. I... All right, okay. 
Oh, uh, come on. No, no, no. Come on. You've, you've had the... With... Okay. All right. Okay. I I. Okay. Look. Look. Please. I mean. Look. Okay. Last. We got one. We got one last. Thank you. I got one last. I get, no, I got. I. I got one last question over here. Okay. Come on, guys. Look. Let's. I got one last question. I've tr- you know try to kind of balance all the questions. I got one last one over here. He question. doesn't agree with the Goldstone report. We got that right. Right. The um, and all the points are taken. The facts. I think the, for the lady over here, please. Last question. Hello. I think. Um, I have a question about Iran, and Iran. specifically its nuclear ambitions. Uh, some officials from Israel have expressed concerns about the UN's draft proposal, which would involve Iran sending out uranium to be enriched abroad. And I was just wondering about your opinion on this. Okay, last question. Well, on we, Iran. we would Thank like you. to see a dialogue. We are pleased with the dialogue. We would like to have a, a serious uh, monitoring of the Iranian uh, nuclear uh, problem. But one thing is, I want to tell you that. The nuclear program of Iran or its ambitions are not just an end in itself. It's just a means to reach hegemony in the Middle East and beyond. And coupled with their very radical um, ideology and support of terrorism, this is what is so dangerous. So let me tell you, to sum up, yes, we do agree with the, with the dialogue. We support the P5 plus 1, and we just hope that it will be successful. Okay, I think on that note we will conclude the, uh, the meeting for this evening. Firstly, may I thank you, the audience. Uh, uh, a discussion has proceeded. Um, it's been lively. It's very exciting. I feel a little bit like David Dimbleby um, on an LSE professorial salary. Um, thank you. I know that this, to say this is an emotive issue would be a massive understatement. The one thing the ambassador got, the, the minister got completely wrong was keep referring to me as an Englishman. My mother was Irish. Um, but, uh, you know, we can live that. I would just Beg like those who want to thank the minister to thank him, for those who want to boo him to boo him.